Today on the Zabecast, the World Cup is up and running, and we've got a major upset. Mexico over Germany. We've got the toughest grandmother alive choking out a wild bobcat. My golf nerds weigh in on Phil Mickelson and his meltdown, plus another shining example of why apologies are almost always fatal. If you've got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Monday, June 18, 2018. Hey, look at that. June 18, 2018. Thank you for downloading. Hope you had a good Father's Day weekend. I had a great Father's Day. I woke up, drove about an hour into the studio uh, because I wanted to, to see my golf nerds who you'll hear in this podcast for the first time. I'm going to take a 20-minute, well, 18-minute excerpt of our show on Sunday uh, the Capital Golf Gang, as I call it. And uh, it's about Phil Mickelson and his meltdown and our perspectives on it. So we'll do that in the middle of this podcast here today. A little snippet of the show. I know people have been asking, how come the golf show is not uploaded to the station's website with the show pages? and the? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to look into it. I apologize that it's not being uploaded. I appreciate the fact that you guys want to listen to it. But I'll give you a, a chunk of it here today. So I wake up. I go... Get on the road on Father's Day morning, which I don't mind because I, it's a weird thing, the D.C. area being so clogged with traffic on any particular day of the week, although the summer is a lot better. I mean, it's crazy how good the summer is compared to the rest of the year. But I just enjoy driving these roads that are normally so choked with conge- congestion. I enjoy driving them on a Sunday morning when there's nobody on the road. It's a weird thing. Anyway, to do the show properly, to have the best show possible, I needed to be in there for our live U.S. Open edition of the Capital Golf Gang. So I happily drove in, took about an hour, uh, listened to music, listened to Sirius XM, got there, did the show. Show was great. Very happy with how it went. You'll hear a snippet of it in a second, just as I told you. And then drove home and then immediately rallied up the daughters to go see The Incredibles 2. The Incredibles 2. I had not realized it had been 14 years between the movies. Now, I liked Incredibles 1 okay. It was not anything that really resonated with me. And I see almost every animated kids movie out there uh, taking my daughters to go see them. Now, I know you're going to say, well, isn't your older daughter 19? Yes, Catherine is 19. She is, however, on the autism spectrum, so she loves these movies. And she loves me going with her to the movies. And I love being a part of it. And she says to me on Father's Day, she's like, I know, Dad. How about for your Father's Day gift, I'll take you to go see The Incredibles too." I was like, you, you're a schemer. I like that. But of course, I said, it would be the best ever. And it was. So, and the 16-year-old uh, went as well. And... uh so I went to the movie, I promptly fell asleep for the first 20 minutes of the movie because it was dark, it was cold, and they had the super reclining seats. Woke up about 20 minutes in, I was like, okay, what's going on here? What's the story? Okay, all right, I remember that. You know, so I sort of vaguely remember the original movie. I'm like, okay, ba 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 Saw the movie, uh, left the theater. Oldest daughter, Catherine, says, my phone, where's my phone? And I'm like, oh, God. Run back in the theater. Nobody's there. 
Everything's been cleaned out. And I'm thinking, it's a movie theater. It's a lot of teenagers there. I bet they find phones all the time. I bet they find phones all the time, and I bet they don't do a great job of lost and founding them. I'm not trying to cast dispersions on teenagers these days, but I I know how I'd be if I was working at a theater like that. Wipe it clean, sell it on the black market, who knows. So I have very dim hopes of finding the phone. Get there, couldn't find it sitting on the little armrest or anything like that. Call the phone, and I hear it ringing. Okay, thank God, I hear it ringing. But it's like very faint. That phone was so buried inside that recliner. It took me and two theater employees literally like five minutes to dig it out. Like, oh, hold on a second. Oh, we got it here. Wait, okay. All right, All right let's call it again. Call it again. Well, you got a flashlight? Dug the phone out, got in the car, went home. U.S. Open was already underway. I had missed the front nine. I didn't care because I had DVR'd it. And by the way, I still haven't watched it and will probably not go back to watch it. I then picked it up with about 11 holes to go, and that was more than enough U.S. Open for my liking. And not only did I take a nap in the theater for about 20 minutes of the first part of The Incredibles, but I also fell in and out of sleep in the cold, dark, soft theater couch in my basement watching the U.S. Open and having the dulcet tones of Joe Buck narrate the action to me. In fact, I was going in and out of sleep to the point where when I'd fall asleep for like five minutes or so, I would have many dreams of shots that the leaders were hitting that when I woke up, I'd be like, oh, wait a minute. No, Brooks Kepka did not. He was not in the bunker there. He was on the, the, the green, and that's a par. <laughs> How weird is that? So I think I slept on and off for holes 12 through 15, and then I was wide awake. For 15, 16, 17, 18. And I enjoyed watching the finish of the U.S. Open. So, to sum up my Father's Day. How was my Father's Father's Day was awesome! I got everything I wanted. Time with my daughters. Multiple naps. Time with my buddies talking golf. The only thing that would have been even better is to play golf. But I will get my golf in. In due time. The World Cup is going on. And I have not. I apologize. Watched as much of it as I've wanted to, because I am a fan of the World Cup. I'm not so much a fan of American soccer, American professional soccer, uh, MLS. I know it's getting better, everyone says, that it's getting more popular. It's been a very slow but very steady climb for the popularity of American soccer as a spectator sport in this country. People have over-touted it for years and years and years. It's going to explode. This is It's finally arrived. This will put us over the top. They've all been wrong about that. But there's nothing wrong with slow, steady growth with American soccer. But I don't care for it because I know it's not the best of the best. If I'm going to be an occasional soccer fan, which I am, I'm going to get excited for only the best of the best. And that's what the World Cup is. The World Cup is the best of the best. And on top of that, it's crazy nonsense stories and spectacles and things like you wouldn't otherwise believe if you didn't see it. Like the stadium in Russia, which has the extra seats on these gigantic, several hundred foot tall, erector set scaffolding outside the stadium, looking through a giant cutout hole into the pitch. By the way, those seats were filled 
when there was better seats that were completely empty at matches in the early stages in Russia. And World Cup organizers were baffled, like, I, we don't know how that happened. There was like 6,000 empty seats. We gave all the tickets away, but people weren't coming. So it's stories like that. It's also stories like Landon Donovan. First of all, I guess kudos to Mexico. I'm not going to go crazy about it, but good for them. They beat Germany one nothing, or 1-0. An upset so amazing, so nation-moving, that according to one tweet I saw, there was a registered seismographic event the moment that game went final. There was watch parties, of course, outdoors in Mexico on big screens that completely dwarfed even the best watch parties that we had for our capitals during the Stanley Cup Finals. I mean, a whole nation, basically, transfixed. And what also made it great was, first of all, it was the first time, from what I understand, a CONCACAF region team had beaten Germany in the World Cup. I think previously the uh, CONCACAF region was 0-6-1 against the mighty Germans, who are the gold standards in soccer. And congrats to them for that. Okay, fine. But on top of that, you have this Landon Donovan situation in which he proudly posted a photo of him holding up a Mexican scarf in which he says in which the scarf says Mexico is my other team boo boo no oh yeah one more thing about the upset before I get to Donovan in full apparently a German newspaper wrote a headline that read sorry Mexico this time we'll build the wall <laughs> Combining smack talk in soccer with geopolitical smack talk. That is, I'm sure, a sore subject for our Mexican friends to the south. The wall. Well, it turns out that uh, Germany got took the L, got it stuffed down their throats. And so Mexico wins. Now, this Landon Donovan thing, all right, it's a corporate campaign. And the photo of him behind a green background with a Mexican scarf, my other team is Mexico, went over about as well as a fart in an elevator for many fans. Donovan, for his part, made a decent, I guess, explanation. Maybe it's only the second most tortured explanation to Phil Mickelson over the weekend. He said, as a follow-up to my tweet yesterday, I want to better explain my participation in the Wells Fargo World Cup campaign. To begin, my heart bleeds red, white, and blue, and no one should ever question my allegiance to and support of U.S. soccer and all of its national teams. That was uh, bolded in his hastily pecked out note on his Apple iPhone notes, and then screen captured. Well, if you if you put it in bold... Oh, of course I don't question your allegiance and support of U.S. soccer. I mean, if it was not in bold, I'd be like, I don't know. Maybe he's just saying this. That said, having grown up at east of Los Angeles, playing Mexican teammates, playing with Mexican teammates whose passion for football, says Landon Donovan, inspired me at a very young age, as well as playing recently with Club Leon in Liga MX. I believe that is the Premier League in Mexico. I've always had a strong connection and respect for our neighbor. 
Since the USMNT is sadly not participating in the 2018 World Cup. Yeah, I love that. Since we're not participating. Didn't qualify. And why did you not qualify? Oh, that's right. You couldn't beat lowly Trinidad and Tobago on a high school field when all you had to do was beat them. Was it Trinidad and Tobago? I'd have to look that up. Don't quote me. It was some small-ass tin can country in CONCACAF. Choked. Uh, Because we are not participating. I love that phraseology. Uh, I am supportive of our CONCACAF rivals and would like to see them do well. Oh, really? Even our bitter rival, Mexico and soccer? This would be akin, as Bob Madden said today on our show, uh, on my segment with Bob and Brian, so it'd be like me holding up a Viking jersey, going, all right, well, we're out, but I'm rooting for the Vikings now. If others disagree, that is their prerogative, but similar to how the U.S. Soccer Federation, the Canadian Soccer Federation, and the Federación Mexicana de Fútbol joined together in the united bid to bring the 2026 World Cup to North America, I believe in supporting each other and building bridges, not barriers. Okay, okay. And you know what else? You believe in money. Because this was not just you out of the blue saying Mexico is my other team. This was part of a sponsored... Wells Fargo campaign. How much did Landon Donovan... What was his price? What was the price for Landon Donovan to go, I don't know, Mexico? I've got a claim that they're my other team. Uh, how, how much money? You are tampering with forces you can't understand. We have major corporations sponsoring this event. Yeah. Nah, boo. This is not... You can't do this. This is not the way it works. Sorry. You don't just root for your CONCACAF brethren because we're all this, we're all that. No, no. No, no, no. No. No, he should be forced to admit exactly how much money he got from Wells Fargo and then donate that money to U.S. soccer efforts one way, shape, or form. And I'm not questioning his, quote, allegiance. Uh, I'm just saying that you don't get to have another team. You, There is no other team. The, you are on the team that is our team. So, Yeah. You can't be a fanboy of anybody else, much less one who is right there to our south and one who could knock us out of the World Cup in future CONCACAF region qualifying. But hey, it's money, so I guess I understand. Maradona, remember him? He's back in the news again. He reacted to an incident with a Facebook post on Sunday morning after which he was seen doing the Chinese eyes move God. at a fan during a World Cup match. Said Maradona, I understand better than anyone that during the World Cup, people are always looking for news at all costs, but let's take it easy. Today at the stadium, among the many demonstrations of affection of my people, my attention was attracted by a group of people around a fan who was filming us. It was an Asian boy wearing an Argentina shirt. I, from far away, tried to tell him how nice it seemed to me that even Asians would come for us. And that's it, guys. Please. Yeah. I. That's a bit of a stretch, uh, you know, that he was saying, hey, isn't that nice? Uh, ching chong, ching chong, ching chong. There's the eyes thing. Yeah. It's Diego Maradona, though. I mean, what do you expect, really? After the Iceland-Argentina match, Maradona also apologized for smoking a cigar in the stadium in direct violation of the World Cup's policy on tobacco. 
said Maradona, I honestly did not know that no one can smoke in the stadium. I apologize to everyone and the organization. Diego, Diego, Diego. Don't you know that there's going to be cameras on you the entire time? Someone's camera is going to be on you the entire time. You can't smoke. You can't make ching-chong eyes. You can't do nothing without it being caught. So just realize that. This is the toughest grandmother ever. God, this is awesome. Heart. County grandmother kills rabid bobcat with bare hands. Awesome. Yes. (laughs) Wow. This is in, I hate the way these websites do this. Athens Banner Herald, Georgia. I'm guessing Georgia. Dateline, Hart County, Georgia. A rabid bobcat recently attacked a Hart County grandmother in her yard, spurring a furious battle that ended with the cat's strangulation death. Said one D.D. Phillips, recalling the attack, quote, I thought, not today. There was no way I was going to die. Phillips has begun a round of rabies shots at Northeast Georgia Medical Center. She has also broken a finger and has had numerous bite and claw wounds to her hands, arms, chest, and legs. I'm very lucky, said the 46-year-old forty-six-year-old grandmother. What? Okay, never mind. Let's just go with it. It is Georgia, all right? The unprovoked attack occurred about 6 p.m. She had been working on her truck that afternoon and posted a bumper sticker that read, Women who behave rarely make history. She planned to photograph the sticker and send it to her husband. She then walked out of the house with her cell phone. My neighbor's dog was barking and it drew my attention. I saw the cat and I took a picture. The cat took two steps and was on top of me. It came for my face. In the face! Ms. Phillips grew up in the country where her father-in-law was once a trapper of bobcats. As a result, she knew something about the animal's behavior. Quote, they go for your jugular because when they get that vein, you're dead in a couple of minutes, she said. The bobcat did go for her upper body. It caught me slightly on my face, but I got him before he could do much damage there. I took it straight to the ground and started inching my hands up to its throat. I knew that was the only way I was getting out of this. With both hands around the bobcat's neck, she began squeezing, but never shouted for help because her five-year-old granddaughter was in the house. I was scared if I screamed for help, my granddaughter would come out, and it, and I didn't want that to happen. Once I got him where he wasn't moving, moving, I started screaming for my daughter-in-law to call 911. She said her son also called 911, and he showed up with a gun. But Phillips would not release her grip on the crazed animal as she feared it might not be truly dead. Yeah, it could be just playing dead. These bobcats are badasses. She did not want her son to fire the gun because she was too close to it, so he pulled a knife. My son stabbed it four or five times, but it never budged, so I knew it was completely dead. Wow. (laughs) Ms. Phillips lives in a rural area near the Elbert County line, said she learned only recently of a rabid skunk and a rabid fox were found in the same area. Her cousin has set up an account on fundly.com to raise money for medical expenses in the first round of rabies shots, they've already cost her ten grand. She also faces expenses for treatments for her wounds. Hell, I might have to donate. I rarely, if ever, donate to these GoFundMes, but this this one right here, 
I, I got to be in for 20 bucks on this. Absolutely fantastic. But man, she's got some bad wounds. I was always told that rabies shots, and maybe this was just my dad scaring me, rabies shots were literally like a three-foot-long needle that they injected right into your stomach. And they were some of the most painful, awful shots ever. Is that true? Medical community, help me out here on this one. All right, if you missed it on Sunday, Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. during golf season, I do a little show called The Capital Golf Gang. It's me, it's John Ronis, it's Ron Thomas, it is John Gould. They are four of my, three of my best friends and all guys with different areas of expertise. Uh, Mr. Thomas played Division One golf for Fred Funk at Maryland. He plays in a lot of amateur events, very fine player, knows everybody in golf. He's got the player side of it handled. John Ronis is one of the top instructors in our area and has his own academy now at River Creek Country Club in uh, Leesburg, Virginia. And then John Gould is the Middle Atlantic PGA CEO or, or executive director. And so he's on the administrative side, and he knows the rules very well. Perfect foursome with me, the chuckle-headed radio announcer, to talk golf. And we tackled the Phil Mickelson issue on Sunday. Now back to the Capital Golf Gang with Steve Zabin on the Team 980 and the Team 980 app. We're back. The birds are chirping in studio. Interesting. Interesting. I know. Funny how that is. Who says the bird noises are piped in here? Never. Only at Augusta. All right. Welcome back. Got the whole gang here. Thank you for listening. U.S. Open this afternoon. uh, Weather forecast is excellent. No rain, showers. Uh, It's going to go off. And I believe for the first time, possibly ever, we'll have a two-hole aggregate playoff for the championship today. Good. That's why the tee times are a little earlier, John Gould. Yeah, I noticed that. Hour like, earlier than before. Used to be, they got they got to have some room for that. You know, the USGA had to be kicking and dragged, kicking and screaming into this century. With you can't do these Monday playoffs. I'm sorry. You know, People it's the modern work. day and age. People got to work. People invest five hours watching a sporting yeah, event. They don't want to see a tie and no. come back tomorrow. No. Nope. So anyway, That's that could move. be that could be today. The story of yesterday. One of the huge stories, if not the story, was Phil Mickelson's meltdown on number 13 as he, in frustration, saw a putt about to roll off the green, hustled around the hole, and then whacked it back at the hole. And then, inex- not inexplicably, but then shockingly, once the round was over and once he finally faced the music and met the media, claimed he did it strategically and it was no big deal and that anybody... Who, who is offended by it needs to quote unquote toughen up. There is a rules tangle that has to be untangled, John Gould, and you're going to help us with that because mm-hmm. you are a certified rules official. But there is a larger issue in terms of etiquette, decorum, reputation, legacy that's going to echo through the years. I will start with you, Mr. Thomas. Your thoughts on Mickelson yesterday? My thoughts are uh, to begin the event, actually. In the days leading up to the event, Phil Mickelson was adamant that this was the best setup that he had ever seen. When it came to a U.S. Open, he was um, very excited about it. He was very positive. And I'm going to keep this short. I think that as time wore, I think he saw the golf course got away from uh, everybody. And I think it was his way of retracting his statement, his statements earlier, by saying... So this was his way... Of putting the USGA on the hot seat. 
Interesting. Mr. Ronas. I'm going to take a slightly different uh, route here. I blame, for the controversy, I blame the USGA and the USGA only. This, to me, is an obvious disqualification situation. The rule states a player must not make a stroke at his ball while it is moving. Okay, fine. Comes down. In brackets, ball purposely deflected or stopped by a player, partner, or caddy. See rule one two. Rule one two is the egregious. You, you're doing it because uh, you're you're changing the game itself, and the and it, I can read that one too. But the no, fact it's is, the difference between rule one two and fourteen five. Well, right? we'll yeah. get yeah. to that. Yeah. We'll get to that. But talk act. about the act. Okay, so the okay, the, so so he was not disqualified. Now the act, Mickelson made a mistake. Mickelson has earned the right by his actions in the game of golf to make a mistake. The mistake was made. He should have been disqualified. At the point of disqualification, then he can say what he wants to tarnish or improve his legacy. The fact is, he made an egregious mistake. He should have been disqualified, and then he should have apologized. But we don't get that because he gets to keep on going, so it's always Phil's always the smartest guy. Clever. Yeah. Yeah. John, why do, John you, why do you th- hold on, yeah. why do you think he did it? What do you think was jumped in his mind? Do you think he was consciously... I think it was a combination of, I want to be front and center because I'm about to shoot 80, and I'm Phil Mickelson. And, by the way, there's a little loophole in this that I'm going to show I'm smarter than everyone else. I'm not letting that ball roll down there again, so I'm just going to hit it. I don't think think he he thought of that in the moment. I I think it was a direct challenge to the USGA. It was either frustration or I'm going to show these guys that, hey, you know, this course setup is so bad now that I'm going to do something this silly and they're going to they're going to have to pay for it. I, and I think he wanted to be disqualified. I think that's the why, reason he called them after the fact and said, hey, everybody's saying I should be disqualified. I don't want to play in this if, if I if I should have been disqualified. I think he was challenging the USGA and the USGA backed down and said, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Mickelson. Uh, we'll just add two strokes to your score and we'll let you keep playing. Under the guise I, I, of you want goofy golf? Here. Here's your goofy golf. I, I, I do. That's true, exactly what I think But I'll tell you was. what. He, I think it was a little bit premeditated as he was standing over the first putt because he smashed that putt. I mean, that was a yes. bullet. So he was saying to himself, I'm going to try to take out the break. If it goes in, that's fine. But you know what? If it doesn't, here's my opportunity. I know this thing is teetering on the edge. So I'm going to blast it. If it goes in, it goes in. If it doesn't, then I'm going to hit it while it's moving because I'm not going to end up there. I think there was a bit of premeditation yeah, because I, he knew I, about I, the loophole. I'm not sure he did it on that specific shot. He may have thought that somewhere along the way is if it gets away, I'm going to run after it. Mm-hmm. I don't think he said, I'm going to hit this one 10 feet past and, and then run after right. it. I think it, it happened to go 10 feet past, and he said, here's my opportunity. Yeah, here's, 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 here's my take on it, and this is a forever stain on Mickelson's career. Agreed. We live in a forever society now with images captured on our phones and kept alive by social media. Images of glory and images of embarrassment and shame and failure. This is a forever stain. Does it negate everything else positive Mickelson's done for the game? Of course not. But it's there forever, and it's something that only a rare handful of people have ever done. Then they showed the highlights of Triplet in 98 at Olympic and and John Daly. John Daly in 99 at Pinehurst. Two of them were very different, though, from what Mickelson had done. Jack Nicholas never did this. Arnold Palmer never did this. Tiger Woods never did this. And I don't think anyone's going to do it in the future because they're going to realize this is a forever stain. This never comes out. You can't call around and get this off the Internet like that umpire video that Major League Baseball said. <laughs> get Take that off the Internet. The image of Phil Mickelson petulantly jogging after his ball, slapping it back to the hole, is a forever stain. 
people that don't understand golf on my Twitter timeline are like, oh, clutch those pearls, Abe, or oh, it's not a big deal. There's only two types of people in the world, Ron. Those people who have played golf under actual rules for something of significance, anything, just $2, a match, whatever, and everyone else. And most of the people who are the everyone else who have never done that don't understand, they'll never understand. I was always taught you're either out there playing golf or you're just jacking around. Doing what Mickelson did is jacking around. If we were playing around with a guy in one of our events or golf trips that did that and it had some significance. Never be invited back. They'd really Um, be on um, that list of do we want this guy around here? So that's my net net of it. I also think it was an easy DQ, which uh, basically Nabolo, first time ever I'm going to praise old Frankie Nabolo. Nabolo was just a matter of fact. He's like, I don't know why that wasn't a DQ. And what the USGA did was they rested on the, well, he made a stroke. He didn't deflect or stop the ball from rolling, which would have been a rule to easy disqualification. He made a stroke, and I'm like, that's a distinction without a difference. He deflected it by hitting it back at the hole. 1-2 states, I'm reading it. If the movement of a player's ball has been intentionally influenced by a fellow competitor or other outside agency, Rule 1-4 applies. This is... It's clear as day. What are you going to – he's hitting said, it with his putter. They, what did he have the, to do, lay USGA, down and have it hit his body like a goalie? Let me let, me let John jump in here. The USGA leaned super heavy on, on 14-5. And they basically – they gave 14-5 supremacy and didn't even want to entertain 1-2. Right, and interestingly, and you heard the word mobilized like five times, which is a little crazy for me. But, yeah, exactly. They read the letter of the law. He made a stroke. And it doesn't matter if anything else happened, he made a stroke. I mean, I, I, I disagree with it, but that was what they, they basically boiled it down to, is, is he played a, a, a stroke at a moving ball, which we have a rule written for, and the wording exactly says if you play a stroke at a ball while it's moving, it's a two-stroke penalty. End of story. That's the way they interpret it. Not uh, end of story. Sorry. Ball purpose right down at the bottom of the rule purposely deflected or stopped by a player when a player not only states that it was intentional but brags about it that should have been enough to make rule 1-2 supreme not 14-5 in my opinion yeah and i agree i I, what there what i'm just saying what the usga explained here was that it was end of story he made a stroke and they said, well, he didn't deflect it. He didn't stop it. They made a stroke. And exactly what you said, Zabe. It's a distinction th- th- without a difference. Right, right, I, exactly. He stopped it with a stroke. Well, I love having John here, as we always have, because he's, he, you know, this is what he does. And he right. applies this to, to the tournaments he's at. Okay. Someone does this at Ballyhack in the Virginia State Open. What do you, how do you rule on this? Well, we're not going to have video, right? Yeah. So we're going to be asking what happened to the players. And see, that's the other thing that, you know, they made this quick decision. We mobilized. I mean, they kept using that mobilized. word, which really, really struck me. We mobilized and we made a decision, but they hadn't talked to Phil yet. And I think when they, once you heard Phil say, I did it on purpose as strategy, that would immediately be DQ. They, I would be, I was more. Isn't that funny? Because they waited to talk to Tiger after the ruling on yep. 15 at Augusta because they needed to know. And did you did you purposely drop three yards back further to avoid yeah. a second you know 
Ricochet. And Dustin Johnson. Did you know you were in a bunker? Right. They waited, they yeah. waited famously. They didn't wait, but they right. mobilized. Now, here's what... here's what comes down to it. It's This is what they're hanging their hat on. Exceptions to Rule 1-2. An action expressly permitted or expressed prohibited by another rule is subject to that other rule, not Rule yes. 1-2. That's what they're hanging their hat on. They're wrong. They're totally wrong in their interpretation, but that's what they're hanging here's, their hat on. For anyone I, who wants to write to us and say, well, there it is in the yeah. exceptions. Here's the one thing that I don't quite understand, Mr. Gould. What do the rules envision as a penalty for moving a hitting, uh, hitting a moving ball? Yeah, it, that's a good point, Zabe. It, it, it's really along the lines of the ball is, um, uh, you know, Falling off the well, I mean, there's some exceptions there. Rolling but like, off a tuft of grass. Rolling off a tuft of grass. Going down a slope. Co- correct. And in, in, in those cases you're, where it's rolling off the tuft of grass, and, and you've, you've started your swing, there's no additional penalty for that. You you uh, you move the ball at rest, where and that's where the the penalty actually applies. So that's exactly right. The rules do not comprehend this something like Phil did. They don't he's envision. Anyone intentionally hitting a moving ball, right. especially not for an advantage, which Mickelson claimed Correct. that he did. And let me address the the Mickelson smartest guy in the room there, because I think what Rona said had some some valid validity there. But if he was truly the smartest guy in the room, that's not the way to handle that. that unplayable. That, 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 yeah, take the ball unplayable. Yeah. So that was his fifth shot. Okay, he ends up his sixth stroke was while the ball's in motion, and I'm sure he thought he would get it close enough Plus to make two, it. Plus two, seven, eight, missed putt, tap. But in. I'm sure he thought he would get get it up close enough to make a nine. So if that was his goal to make a nine, and take the two stroke <laughs> penalty like he said, you know that's the wrong way to do it. He could have been putting seven by taking an unplayable ball. The ball ends up over there by the bunker, takes it back to the same spot. Now he knows the speed. He can have very least two putts he's saying, away, so he could take some. But what he's saying, Johnny, what he's trying to make the point is. Oh, that putt, I'm not going to take it unplayable because that putt was impossible. I'm calling you out because the putt was impossible, which it wasn't. He hammered it. Yes, And then he's going to say, well, I'm not going to take it unplayable because now I'm going to have to hit the ball from the same spot where you guys made it impossible to begin with. David Faye made that point, and then Duvall echoed it later that if he was really the smartest guy in the room, there is a less drastic remedy. Correct. But but here's the thing. Mickelson's a liar. Mickelson... I don't buy what he's saying. Mickelson cooked this up over the five holes that he had to finish. And the 30 minutes in the scoring area. Right, because Andrew Beef Johnson said that Mickelson said, I don't even know what that is. Mm -hmm. So if he knew that was my strategy and then didn't know what his score was, he's lying. We're, We're talking about a guy who is so concerned with his appearance and his personification... That he his hair is so long, and so he can do the comb over. Back right? to the hair. That sounds silly. Yeah. Back to the hair. Yes, but I think that honestly, I think at that moment, Phil was so worried about looking silly and stupid on television. Right, having that ball roll thirty yards off of the front yeah. of that green, and then he didn't want to look silly by going, "Man, I lost my Ex- cool. Exactly. I, I, I've decued myself." I, I would have had more empathy and for I, him if he did if he said that. Right. I lost my cool. Oh, I got totally empathy totally. for him. And then Who the cares? last thing that I, I'd like to say on this is keep in mind that you know we're wondering why he didn't get disqualified. Well, let's think about this love affair between New York City or New York and Phil Mickelson. Yeah. USGA disqualifies him. What kind of crap are they going to have to deal with on the golf for the fans? And you know, Nicholas shot eighty one. At, at Hazeltine or Medina or something a long time ago in the U.S. Open. Guys, do you know that? Mm-hmm. No. Probably didn't. 
Probably because he didn't hit a moving ball or do something stupid like that yeah, that you would remember it. Breaks that day. Yeah. Okay, I but, strike that. But you're going to remember that Mickelson shot 80 whatever. You know, we're, we might even forget that that Ricky Fowler shot like 92 yesterday. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but you know what? Well, he's Ricky a just guy. Ricky just does his. Well, yeah, they get a little tight sometimes, but they they he, he just did his thing, right? And he, and and when he's done, eh, you know, Look, of course, here's didn't play the, well. Here's the thing. A guy named Billy Walters is sitting in jail right now, in large part because Phil Mickelson did not want to tell the truth about getting insider trading information to wipe out over a million dollars of gambling debts. That's who Phil Mickelson is. Don't tell me otherwise. Okay? He's done a lot of good for the game. A lot of people like him. That's fact. You go look that up. Billy Walters, owner of Walters Golf in Las Vegas. Okay, he said as much. He's like, you know, if Phil had just stood up and been a man and testified and said, here's what really went on. You know, I'd probably not be in jail right now. But Mickelson skated on that. Didn't get suspended by the tour either, by the way. Some code of conduct. So it's a forever stain. It's it's on the record. He's going to play today. I'm sure he's going to give a lot of goofy thumbs up and smiles (laughs) and all that. And he's going to cash his check for seventy six thousand and change. But this will never go away. And for those of you saying, I'll clutch those pearls, Abe, why are you so outraged by this? I'm not outraged. I'm being, I'm just factually saying, if Mickelson is what you like, then you would like that sort of thing. You can have it. Yeah. Not, not what I admire in the game of golf. I'm totally with you. I mean, okay. you got to play the game takes, the game giveth. And right. it took from those guys, and he decided that. He wasn't going to put up with it because it's Phil's world and we're living in it. We'll end with this, and this story, frankly, makes me sick. But it's sadly all too predictable. Do you remember the story of one Brian Davis, the Oklahoma City Thunder announcer, who uh, uncorked the phrase, Russell Westbrook is out of his cotton-picking mind after a crazy assist in the team's regular season finale against Memphis? He was suspended for that because he was deemed to be racist. Even though cotton-picking mind is a colloquial term that is not in any way, shape, or form deemed as or used as racist. And yes, believe it or not, before slaves were brought into the country to pick cotton, guess what? White people picked cotton as well. But that doesn't matter in today's day and age. He was suspended for game one of their Western Conference playoff series for that comment. He issued an apology for that comment that reads as follows, quote, It is with great remorse and humility that I accept this suspension for the insensitive words I used during Wednesday's broadcast. While unintentional, I understand and acknowledge the gravity of the situation. I offer my sincere apology and realize that while I committed a lapse in judgment, such mistakes come with consequences. This is an appropriate consequence for my actions. Oh my God, I want to vomit just reading that. That right there is a man begging for his job. That is a good man who has been the announcer for Oklahoma City, I think for 10 years, begging for his livelihood, a unique job that is very hard to get, that takes a lifetime of work and climbing up the ladder to get. It's not easily transferable, and it 
pays very well. It's a dream job. He's begging for his job. Well, guess what? He got fired quietly over the weekend. And by fired, well, Oklahoma City won't renew contract of announcer. That's the same as getting fired. Because it's not like they were looking for somebody else. He had been their guy for 10 years. A team statement does not give a reason for the decision. Oh, really? No no reason, huh? Shocker. It almost makes you want the next guy, and maybe this should apply to me, although I'm getting more and more skitterish all the time about whatever I say, whenever I say it, in whatever form I say it, because this is how ridiculous things are getting. It, it, uh, it almost makes me think that, you know what, apologies are the worst thing you can do. Never apologize. Brian Davis might have been better after that incident to go, look, that's, I, I sh- there's no way I should be suspended. That is a common colloquial phrase. Anyone who thinks I'm a racist calling these games who doesn't like uh, or has hate in his heart for anyone on this team, including the great Russell Westbrook, they're crazy. This is madness. This has to stop. I won't apologize. I don't apologize. And if the team feels they're gonna, they need to fire me for this, then so be it. But I'm going to stake my pride on this. And that would have seemed dumb at the time because then if you challenge the team, they're going to be like, okay, you're fired then. Like the team would be like, we're, we're not a bitch. You're fired. But what did that groveling apology do for him? All right, all right, I apologize. I'm really, really Nothing. sorry. I apologize unreservedly. I offer a complete and utter retraction. The imputation was totally without basis in fact and was in no way fair comment and was motivated purely by malice. And I deeply regret any distress that my comments may have caused you or your family. And I hereby undertake not to repeat any such slander at any time in the future. Okay, good. And uh, you're fired now. This is a tough business broadcasting, and I feel for a guy like that. Good man, family man, great job, you're fired. All because of cotton-picking mind. Okay. That'll be a wrap for today. You know the drill. Tell two friends. Hit up that Reddit thread about how great the podcast is. Leave a positive review and rating. Download, subscribe at all the major outlets. And always remember, the guy who someday invents a sunscreen that is also a bug spray repellent is going... He's going to be a billionaire someday. So get cracking, you you science nerds. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.